My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to know what an Irish accent sounded like. <laughs> and this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is an episode of television, a great episode of television, or a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, listen to our intro episode or wait until the end where we will go through them again. Don't you worry, sweetheart. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. That's burnnoticed with a D. So, so what? Uh, what's it like for you right now in the... We're like solidly the in the, the apocalypse. Yeah, we're solidly in the after time. Well, not the after time now. We're in the during. Yeah, we're like, in the during times. The apocalypse is still happening. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, my situation changes so little, like day to day, and not just because like every day is the same, but because like my day my days are largely the same as they were prior to the apocalypse because I still work and I already worked from home. So like the bit, the work that I, I think we've talked about this before because it's the same for me every time, but like my, the company I work for has had to change a lot, but I still work for the company and I'm still largely doing what I was doing prior to. The You're apocalypse. a company woman. I've often said. Yeah, it's true. I'm, I'm loyal to a fault to my company because I love capitalism. Uh, no, but like, yeah, my, my life really hasn't changed. Like we already cooked a lot and we were trying to cook more than we were anyways, um, before the apocalypse, I still have work every day. Uh, so I don't find myself with any more free time in ways, in some ways I find myself with less free time, both because I'm working more because we're trying desperately not to go under. Um, but also like I wake up later because I just have nowhere to be. Because what I what used to get me up in the morning during on work days and on the weekends is that I would go to my favorite coffee shop and if I didn't get there early enough I wouldn't have a a a, a table I I wouldn't be able to get a table to like set up with my laptop and stuff so I sleep a lot more because like who cares the world is falling apart and I have nowhere to go so I actually in some ways have less time than I used to so all these fucking people would like I don't know what to do to fill my time like my little brother who lives in LA and as a production assistant who definitely doesn't have work right now he's like I'm so bored all the time and I'm like I kind of wish I was bored in some ways there are parts of this where it's like, this is not the apocalypse I imagined because I'm still working and I'm still pretending like everything's going to be fine because I have to. Otherwise, my company will go under. How are your how is your apocalypse, Chris? Uh, I'm very good at being bored, so I'm not having a problem. Like mm-hmm. in terms of psychologically surviving, this is the apocalypse that's best for me. <laughs> the worst thing about this apocalypse for me in that way is that it frankly encourages bad behavior from me. Right? Because, like, there's a sense to which it's like, you know, you got to have self-care is important. And, you know, it's okay if you're not productive during the apocalypse. But at a certain point, it's like, well, <laughs> but what am, what else am I going to do? Because, like, just sitting in your feelings and, like, that's not, pr- you know, just because it's not productive oh. under capitalism doesn't oh, mean I that it's a good decision. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot I of just discourse those off. right now. There's a lot of apocalypse discourse where people are like shaming people for not being productive or they're shaming people for saying people should be productive or trying to be productive. And it's like no one can behave correctly. 
which makes sense for just the world that we live in. But like, yeah, nobody is happy. If you're productive, then you're a capitalist slag. If you're not productive, then you're a lazy shithead. And no one, like, there's no way to be in this apocalypse where someone thinks that you're, like, where everyone thinks you're making a responsible decision, both for yourself and for the world at large. Can I say what's definitely not a responsible decision? What? Making, watching Burn Notice and making a podcast about it. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like people could use, like, some entertainment from the before times. All right. Well, let's talk about some entertainment from the before time. What well, what entertainment is this, and when was that specific before time? That before time was when Season 3, Episode 9 of Burn Notice aired. The episode is called Long Way Back, which feels uh, fitting. It aired originally on August 6th, 2009, when we still had uh, President Obama in office, and was written by a lonesome Craig S. O'Neill and directed by Jeff Freilich. Freilich something, who isn't Freilich? actually known for directing. Uh, what? Freelich? Freelich? Freilich? 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 Freilich. Uh, who isn't actually known for directing, uh, though he has directed some Halt and Catch Fire and also one other episode of Burn Notice, which is the one where Michael's alias has a religious awakening midway through for some reason, and then Fiona gets really, like, emotional about it. Remember that episode? Oh, I'll never forget that episode. <laughs> So that's that's his other claim to fame within the Burn Notice universe, that is. I know a lot mm. of people who swear by Halt and Catch Fire. Yeah, it was very good for it, – it's, it's one of those things where it was airing when I had a lot of other things going on. And since I don't have a TV, it's hard to stay up with current shows if they didn't immediately go to a streaming service. And even if they do, you know things yeah. get in the way so like i i watched like half of the first season and enjoyed it during that period of time see that's interesting to incredible. me because halt and catch fire seems like the type of television show that you would hate in what way lee pace is hot and that's true it, it, it seems like a show technology yeah but it seems like a very s- slow show to me it, I mean, it's not slow. It's slower. I think it's slow enough that I didn't keep up with it. Like if it was speedier, I probably would have been more compelled to like make a make a make time for it in my week. Um, but from what I remember, it was pretty fast paced. Like, huh? There was a lot. Of, there's a lot of drama in the technology game, um, and there was like a cool girl that was also good at technology which i always enjoy and lee pace is there which i've mentioned already but again it's been like probably six or seven years like i don't whenever halt and catch fire started was when i was watching it um which was probably like five years ago so like who knows maybe my tastes have changed maybe i've gotten less refined and so i wouldn't enjoy it if i rewatched it now i don't know i don't think you've ever been refined (laughs) i that's fair uh, do you want to know what IMDb thinks this episode is about, Chris? What is What do they think it's about? Uh, it's about Michael is about to get his name cleared at the agency, but Fee is leaving him to return to Ireland. However, their plans are interrupted. Uh, I guess the first sentence was referring to two subjects. When Fee's brother arrives with news that a new enemy is in Miami with plans to kill Fee. All right. Yeah. That's, you seem that's to it. not like this one. And so I seem to like it very much. 
Well, and and we we've mentioned, I think, on and off air, we've talked about like the sort of weirdness of doing this show is that whenever you're the one recapping it, like you're kind of pausing it a lot. So like the pacing is always going to seem a little choppier. You're taking a lot of notes. So you're noticing like in more detail things that you otherwise would just be able to like enjoy, um, you know, like the having to stop and start to take notes a lot definitely does make it a less enjoyable viewing experience, even if it's a good episode. Um, and, but here's my thing about this episode. I don't think that it was a bad episode. I enjoyed watching it. You know, it's an, a Craig O'Neill episodes and those them, him, Jack and, and Michael Horowitz are all, you know, our fave boys. And so they generally turn out better episodes than other people do. But like, as I was recapping, something that I noticed and something you'll notice from my recap is there were a lot of scenes where they'd have like a 10 second conversation and then we'd move on. It just, it felt like there was a lot of wasted airtime of just like exposition to get us to the next stage. Um, and there wasn't, I feel like there wasn't that much meat on the bones. I also felt that the theme of you have to let go of the past <laughs> was a really heavy handedly done, um, in ways that burn notice is not usually subtler about. Um, but I don't know. It just, it, it felt like. Well, I think like in general, burn notice just doesn't have themes. I feel like they've had scenes more, but also like each scene was doing exactly one thing. And I don't, my thing is that I don't feel like I learned anything about anyone. Like it was just an aggressively violent episode and everything resolved so well. And like that, like just, it just felt, felt like nothing really happened. Like a lot happened, but also nothing happened. There was no real movement in any relationships like fees staying. So I guess she and Michael get to stay together. Hooray. But like, we knew that was going to happen. The other I thing mean, that I was thinking about last night is he like, like full the- on kill Strickler. Yes, he did. Um, but also, like, we knew Strickler That's was going to be around. That's pretty huge. I will say, when Strickler, when that scene, I, I made a note of how it was the most interesting Strickler has ever been. Um, yeah. And the best acting we've ever seen of him. Like, and he dies. And it's like, damn, guys, we couldn't have done, we couldn't have, like, you know, milked this for a little bit. But I was thinking something. Uh, I think that this is just a an unfortunate necessity of this time period of television and also the style of television where, like, stakes don't really exist for your main characters because we know that they're going to be in every episode. So, like, there was never really any urgency around Fee leaving for Ireland because, like, I never believed for a second that they would actually, like, write Fee either off the show entirely or off for a period of time. Like, so, you know, I wasn't particularly connected to that thing. Um, And, like... As a result, it's hard to make the danger of her leaving at all, uh, let alone the danger of her might, you know, potentially getting killed, feel real to me. And so as a result, like, it just sort of seemed like we were going through the motions. I would have preferred if they had gone through with her going, I think I would have liked this episode better if she had actually gone back to Ireland, discovered like something was happening and then Michael and Sam would have to help her like maybe long distance. Uh, They probably couldn't go to Ireland based on like the constrictions of the show, but like that would have been cool too if they had like a short little, you know, two or three episode Ireland adventure where like they had to go after her to save her. Uh, Potentially even if Michael's not allowed to leave Miami still, if that's like still a thing, which we haven't talked about recently and the show hasn't talked about. So I'm not actually sure if he is limited to where he's allowed to go in the world, but like Michael having to like sneak away from his handlers and pretend he's still in Miami and like maybe have his mom you know fake that he's in Miami while he's in Ireland trying to save Fee's life because like they they heard about something something I don't know I just feel like that would have been more interesting because like See, this just felt like I feel like this I never is thought not anything was gonna go wrong an episode 
about whether or not Fee is actually going to go to Ireland. I don't think but that's then what the is point it about? It. It's about it's about Michael choosing Fee over his job. I guess. No, like that's it, it. That is what it's about, very purposefully. I just felt like it wasn't. I don't know. Well, let's let's get into the weeds and like go through it bit by bit because just I feel like this wasn't the best way to do it, and I feel like it. We could have milked like one or two more episodes out of Strickler actively working against Michael, but in a way like I feel like the Strickler thing happened so quickly that we didn't get to live in the moment of like not only is he kind of shady, but he's actively fucking with Michael's life and relationships to like get him to the end goal. I feel like it would have mattered more if Michael I, worked with him for a little bit as I he was doing this. The biggest problem with this episode is that it's paying off a bunch of plot lines that they have not done a good job of like making interesting before this point. Yeah, like this is that this is the this is the the end episode. Like this is the climax yeah. episode of arcs that weren't really good. <laughs> like it, but it, they, they, it was it's, it's really not an earned climax. At paying off those cl- I no, I agree with that. I, I, th- then I think that that's a good way of putting it. Like, I don't think this was an earned climax, but it was a good one. And that's Yeah, that's I think, like, and it's it's also, like, the most what I've wanted this show to do sometimes, which is just do, like, a mythology episode. This is the most, like, p- mythology episode that they've done up to this point since, like, the season two finale. Yeah, I, I think that's which right. Which this reminds me of. That's what this reminds me of. Yeah, I I was actually thinking about that too because it was that moment where it's like, don't make me a client, uh, like Victor said, yeah. and then you know they become the client. It's like, ha ha ha, we still have to have a client. Um, but yeah, I, I I made that connection as well, and we liked the season two finale broadly. I speaking. like this and, one, but and it was once again a sort of thing where like we liked the character of Victor by the end, and like his ending was really powerful if his plot had been good up to that point. Yeah. And it also, I think we talked about, felt like it was unearned. And that's the problem with Burn Notice is that like there's such a disparity between the writers just in the room, um, but also the storytelling that like there, there are a lot of really strong episodes of Burn Notice, but they feel out of place because the rest of the show does not go to support it, which makes it a very complicated viewing experience because like I enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed watching it. I thought it was exciting and, you know, well-paced largely, uh, broadly speaking. But like the whole time I couldn't help but think like, I feel like I was supposed to care about this more, but I have not cared about it until this very episode. And that makes it really hard to connect with. Anyway, let's get in the weeds and we'll talk about it more. Yeah, let's let's get into the weeds. So um, <laughs> I apparently glazed over last episode. We talked about this off air, but I guess I didn't hear Fiona saying that she was going to leave Miami. So when I saw that in the recap, I was extremely confused. So uh, this episode begins with Michael forlornly looking at photos of him and Fee together, one of which is them kissing. And I'm left wondering, who took this photo? Is Sam taking cute photos of Michael and Fiona kissing in Miami? Because they don't have any other common friends. And you bet your ass it wasn't Madeline. they went on a beach date and got like a stranger to do it. That's even crazier. I do not or, believe that Michael Weston would willingly give his phone or camera away to a stranger to take a picture of them kissing. That does not seem oh, like Oh, it's like thing. definitely like a disposable cam. Or and here's what here's the best option is that a a spy took that. 
It's like, you know, sometimes they'll be like some sort of bad guy will send like Michael a bunch of pictures and I'd be like, I've been watching you. Like proof of surveillance photos. Exactly. And then like he kept that one because like, oh, this one's cute, though. You know what would be really funny is if if burn notice happened a little bit later and somebody sent him one of those and he made it his profile picture and everyone's like, Michael, what are you doing? And he's like, it's a really good photo of me. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that feels like a, a joke that one of us would write. Not necessarily in burn notice because I don't think it's quite that style of comedy. But if we ever wrote our own spy show, I can see that being a joke that we make. So nobody steal it. Exactly. It's a really good joke. If we made if we wrote burn notice, we would make it that kind of show. It's true. That's very true. Um, and Matt Nix would fire when us. When we reboot Burn Notice. <laughs> yeah, when Chris and I inevitably reboot Burn Notice. Or do, or instead of rebooting, maybe we just like join the staff of like the the either the movie or, you know, the new seasons. Like what if they did a Burn Notice year in the life like they did with Gilmore Girls? Yeah. Or like the new <laughs> X-Files. Those two X-Files seasons. Yeah, exactly. Um, I vote... We are definitely every interaction we've had with people behind Burn Notice has been great. So there's yeah, nothing they, that would get in our way. That's true. For sure. Yeah, <laughs> we've not said things in the past that would hurt hurt that at all. They <laughs> and we should love us. Haven't heard someone confirm that what we have said in the past may hurt our chances of getting in good with them. But we've got to move on. So Michael is looking forlornly at photos that someone has taken of him and Fee that I do not believe realistically in the show exist but fine uh fee comes by and essentially just confirms like she's making taking steps to you know move out and she's just like finishing packing up now and she's looking for one particular gun and uh we see michael's like up in the loft area of his of his um he calls it upstairs uh but like the second sort of layer of his loft and so he's up there kind of out of her eyeline and he's like stroking the gun because he definitely found it and she's like well just drop it off if you find it and he says okay i'll drop it off and we watch him like stroke it and then like hold it to his chest like hugging it like a baby then michael goes to lunch with diego who's impressed with michael's new clout that he got from strickler in the last couple of episodes and uh diego is going to start setting up setting michael up on meetings with the hires up we then watch michael go to like I want to say really quickly, in that Diego scene, um, there's a a good piece of Jeffrey Donovan acting where um, Diego says that, like, they're moving forward over my strenuous objection. And Jeffrey Donovan just does, like, a little face. It's, like, subtle, but it's a very good face. Good for him. We then I like these uh, two. I do, too, which makes me even sadder for the end of this episode. Um, True. Wasn't done quite as dirty as Lucy Lawless, but still pretty dirty. Uh, so Michael goes over to Fees, taking the gun with him to, to return to her. Um, there's going to be no tomfoolery around like, oh, I just haven't found it. I guess you have to stay until we find the gun. Like, no, he's just going to take her the gun. But when he gets there, he discovers that Fiona is has a visitor, her brother, Sean. And her brother, Sean, doesn't know who Michael Weston is. He only knows Michael McBroyd. Uh, and that accent that I just did is about as good as the Michael Weston accent that we hear for the rest of the fucking episode. I was so excited. Oh, God. It's In my notes, like, it just says, God, I hope he does the voice. And then, yes, in all caps, with eight exclamation points. And see, my notes say, uh, and oh, God, he's going to have an accent for the rest of this episode, huh? Someone's coming to kill Fee, apparently. But oh, God, he's going to have an accent this whole episode, huh? End of cold open. 
I was very excited. Yeah. I was excited too, but also dreading it because Michael oh, yes. has to, like Jeffrey Donovan has to play it so straight and everyone else in the scene has to be like, this is a great Irish accent and it's so bad. And I just feel it's bad so for bad. everyone in the scene. And also here's the thing. Donovan is an Irish last name. Uh-huh. He, like Jeffrey Donovan is the son of a Donovan and a Matthews. By all accounts, this man has Irish ancestry. Jeffrey Donovan is the least Irish-looking motherfucker on the planet. And so he's walking around with, like, this terrible accent, looking not at all Irish. And then he's being like, yeah, I'm I'm Irish. I'm Irish. Michael (laughs) McBride. That's me. I'm Irish. Well, it looks like he was raised uh, by his single mother, who is the Matthews side of the equation. Matthews, uh, also Irish. Is it? That's also a very common Irish surname. Interesting. I mean, I feel like Matthews has more options there. There's more options, but still, like, yeah. No, I I look this up. (laughs) All right. Well, I believe you. Uh, But yeah, so someone's trying to kill Fee, uh, and it's very scary. So end of cold open. Meanwhile, her brother, Sean, is like the most Irish. Yeah, he has an actual Irish accent and looks Irish and... Yeah. yeah, like if He's you got think very of like Irish a, look, Irish ruffian, it looks like yeah. him. Uh, so after the cold open, we are introduced to the the person who's after Fiona, whose name is Thomas O'Neill. Huh. It's even funnier because it's because Craig O'Neill was the writer of this episode. Yeah, Usually he wrote when the, they he, reference... he made this decision. They love exactly. naming themselves, like naming well, so they characters after do. themselves. But they usually do it like an episode or two apart. Like they don't have a Matheson in the episode that Tim Matheson is directing. That's true. They don't have the Chechik in the episode that Jeremiah Chechik is directing. But Craig S. O'Neill is like, fuck you guys. I want to name him after me. And there's a character later that's named after his writing partner, Tracy, which I thought was cute. Oh, so I missed even that though one. He's, I saw, he, he's, I caught O'Neill, but I missed Tracy. Yeah, there, it's it's very slight. It's towards the end. I'll, I I I made a note of it, but uh, it's very sweet because Craig S. O'Neill is writing this one solo, and usually, as we've mentioned before, they they write as a team. So um, I did think that was cute that he he shouted out his, himself, of course, and also his writing partner within the same episode. Thought it was cute. It's cute. It's it a cute. real cute job. We learn that Thomas O'Neill is a bastard who's after Fee. Uh, they won't say why Fiona's being kind of cagey, but the guy's going to strike today. And sure enough, the uh, identified by lower third bloodthirsty hooligan himself drives up just then as they're like discussing him out inside of Fiona's uh, rapidly emptying apartment. They all sneak out back, not very sneakily. And then Michael calls Sam to get him on side and also to just roll with the accent. My God, the accent. So they all meet up at a foreclosed house that Sam gets them access to. And we learn a little bit more about the situation about how Fee met O'Neill. So Fee was trying to track down the man who killed her sister, which none of them knew she had. Sister name's Claire. Doesn't really matter. And because she was kind of out on a warpath, O'Neill, who's kind of a radical, assumed that Fiona was more radical than she actually was. And he um, disclosed to her that he was had a plan to bomb like a prep school or something, like where children are. And Fiona interceded. And um, so now Thomas. The, uh, the thing about O'Neill is that not only is he very Irish, but he's very goth. So he like hates preps. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, so so she she was like, oh, no, I'm actually not that radical. Fucked with his plan to kill a bunch of school children. And so now he's on like the war. But path. perhaps been, like searching for her ever since. So that's part of the reason it's indicated why she left Ireland, um, because like, you know, he's a big deal there. But uh, and he's mad at her now. So she leaves. Then and there they're in this house, a- by the way, another really big house. Like, yeah, it's a crazy house. <laughs> I mean, no wonder it's what closed on. Those was people, happening behind no the scenes this being. season, but they were like, we're just going to shoot in some real crazy houses. I mean, they were shooting in Miami, and so I bet it's like easier to find kind of rich, expensive looking places for cheaper than it would be in like LA, for instance. Like, because oh, people yeah. in LA are like, if you want to film here, you got to pay me $5 billion. But, you know, Miami is not quite as hot spot for production. So I bet that they have lower prices and they can get away with more. That's my assumption, at least. Um, yeah. So, anyways, so then Fiona's like, I'm not one of your clients. And then there's a classic freeze frame, which identifies Fiona as one of their clients. So we're off to the races. They have to save Fiona from bloodthirsty Thomas. Michael then goes to meet with Strickler to talk about his appeal to because now that uh, Diego is going to set him up some meetings and Strickler got him these meetings, he they, they needed to touch base. And Strickler indicates that he might need to embellish a bit because the truth isn't always enough. And, you know, just because Michael is innocent doesn't mean that he sounds innocent. So Strickler's like, I'm going to drop off some talking points to you in a couple of days just to, like, you know, make this easier on you. He's like, listen, this is all complicated. You're all spies. So, like, you're just going to have to get used to the fact that you're going to have to lie a little bit if you really do want your job back. And Michael's not happy about this, but... Nothing really happens. Yeah, because Michael scene, so is all about the we'll truth. We'll resolve it later. Yeah, Michael is all about yeah. the truth and justice in the U.S. of A. Exactly, and the idea that like, yeah, and Strickler is being like, well, no, like, we're spies. That's not how. That's not how any of this works. And it it's also kind of indicated he's like, listen, <laughs> there's a lot of shit against you. And, you know, the truth might not be as persuasive of you as you want it to be. So if you're really yeah. serious about getting your job back, you might need to compromise a little bit. Um, this would have been a more interesting thing to for Strickler to be like giving him had we seen it in any other episode. I really liked this. And I think that the, the conflict with Strickler in this episode is really interesting. I just wish that it had come up because it feels like the first two or three episodes we had with Strickler, it was just Michael being like, I don't want to work with you. I don't want to work with you. So all of the interactions were pretty much the same. And then like the one episode he works with Strickler, all he does is take some like photos of slightly suspicious things happening. And like, there wasn't really any interaction between Strickler and Michael, except for, hey, go take pictures. And Michael's like, okay. And like, that's not very compelling because we didn't know enough about what the situation was. And I feel like this climax of their storyline would have been more interesting if we'd seen Michael make the wrong decision you know, at, that not only like that he was vaguely aware that was wrong, because he knew that whatever he was doing last episode was like kind of wrong. But I feel like it would have been more interesting if we actually saw him like willing to give away a little bit of his soul to get his job back and then have to make like the final decision. Like he's at the he's this episode is like the fork in the road. Uh, I just feel like that would have been a more compelling decision to have been made. I think so. I, I think, again, with this episode... I'm just happy that it's like finally doing the things that it's been like treading water on this whole time. Because like most of the this these plot lines, the Strickler plot line and like Michael and Strickler and Michael and Fee and like 
this whole thing has been just treading water and a lot of just the same scenes over and over again. But the conflict is interesting still. And like... Oh, for sure. I'm not saying it's not interesting. I feel like like it's just... But it's interesting, but it's also not so complex that like it needs a ton of setup either. I guess for me, it's less about setup. It's more like this was such an interesting conflict and it only lasted the final episode that Strickler is in. I want to see Michael make a bad decision once or twice. Like like the episode that we're doing next week, there is... But I also think that's not this episode's fault. No, I don't think it's this episode's fault. I think it's the season leading up to its fault. I don't, yeah. I don't fault I think, this like, episode. Yeah, I think... It's just, it did make it harder for me to connect with this moment because like Strickler is finally interesting and then we lose him before we can do, like before Michael can truly be compromised. And that's another thing that's hard about this style of show is that like the, that what their, their mythology, their ideology with Michael Weston is that like he cannot be truly compromised even when the show is like, look, he's compromised. And I wish he had been a little bit more compromised so that, like, he is in a weaker position with Strickler and it's a stronger decision to make the decision he makes at the end. Does that make sense? That's fair. But I do think, yeah, like, I think it's just brushing up on the limits of what you can do with this kind of show. And, like... With yeah, which I acknowledge the playground that they've set for themselves. Exactly, like the, they they um, can't make Michael Weston too gray area. Otherwise, he loses what they consider his essential Michael Westonness. Michael Michael Weston-ness, exactly, which I don't necessarily but then think this I agree becomes. With. I don't know, but then this becomes a pretty good episode about his essential Michael Westonness. Yeah, that's fair. That's um, true. I think, I yeah. The biggest knock against this episode, which I think is a legitimate knock, but, like, it's also kind of not its fault. I think we talked about this a week or two ago, about how when you when a regular character becomes the client, you think it's going to be an episode about them, and it almost never is. But this really isn't an episode about Fee, as much it is as it is... An episode about like their relationship and the Strickler thing. And, yeah, it's true. Because like, because yeah, we don't we don't learn anything new about Fiona. We learn that she had a sister who died, and it's like okay. Yeah, now this is not a Fee episode. It's just an yeah, it, which could be a problem. But also, I think the things that it is about are interesting. Yeah, I agree. I think um, it was a little too heavy-handed for them. me, but I, I, I do appreciate what it's trying to do, and I think it's an interesting concept. I don't know if it fully sticks the landing. I think this show can't do anything. Other. I appreciate it just because it's about something in a way that, like... That's true. Yeah, you've been you've been waiting for them to have a isn't. real thesis ep- statement to an episode and then actually, like, follow through. Yeah. And this episode does. A little sloppily, but it does have a theme and stick to it in every, like, A, B, and C plot. Yeah, this is, like, yeah, it's, like, about something. And it's about, like, and it's also about, like, these characters. Like, it's very much an episode about Michael Weston and his, like, conflict and things. And it's about their relationship. And I think it's a little on the nose, yeah, but I also think, like, 
the show is not subtle. That's fair. Yeah, and I do think that I like this as an ending to the thing we were complaining about earlier in the season where Michael and Fiona keep having the same argument about like, why are you so obsessed with your past job? Like the job you're doing now is fine. But I think that this episode kind of sets it up to be like, Fiona isn't just talking about like, it's frustrating that he's obsessed with the CIA. She is also frustrated because like, she considers herself as part of the thing that he's trying to run away from to go back into the past. She's trying to make a statement of like, why do you want to go back to us not being able to be together the same way? Uh, and this episode, I think, does answer that really nicely. Like him having to make the yeah. choice and like respect that like, it's not just that she's frustrated that he's like being, you know, thick headed about his job. It's also, she's also associating it with their relationship. And it's, she's not wrong that him being in the CIA is going to make it harder for them to be together. So I think that this was a, this wasn't a, a good way of ending. Like, you know, he's finally realizing what conversation Fiona has been having this whole time. He just needed. Yeah, exactly. This. And I, and yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Anyways. Lots of stuff happens in this episode. <laughs> well. We should get to so it. Michael and Sam then go so yes yeah, so we 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 leave, we leave the Strickler scene and we get to Michael and Sam discussing O'Neill uh, and how he's never truly been linked to any of his crimes um, and they're at Madeline's house for some reason uh, and they while they're at Madeline's house she invites a realtor inside and it turns out she's been thinking of putting Michael's childhood home on the market. Michael is weirdly upset that she's thinking about selling this childhood home, but he doesn't really have time to dwell on it because they have this lead on O'Neill now about like potentially where he might be staying while he's in Miami. So they got to go check that out. As Sam and Michael stake out. This is, I was thinking about this because um, I had a conversation with a friend recently and realized that the idea of your parents selling your childhood home is like a very potent thing to some people, but also not to me at all because I didn't really have a solid like childhood home. Yeah, Quinn and his brothers have feel the same way because they didn't really have a, a common child. They moved a lot when they were kids. My mom is the same. My mom doesn't have a childhood home. Um, I do. And my mom, every couple of years, it's like she goes back and forth on whether she's going to like downsize because uh, she just lives there alone now. Um, and I definitely would react the way that Michael reacts. But also I have happy memories from my childhood home and I, I really like my childhood home. Um, and it was it was a little confusing that Michael Weston was so upset. They try to kind of ret like retroactively explain why Michael might be upset that his childhood home is potentially gone but like presumably Madeline would stay in Miami Miami is where you retire <laughs> and so it doesn't I don't really yeah, this is true. I didn't get the sense from Michael that like he would really be losing anything um I if I feel like that has never been set up so that and also I I didn't feel like there was enough lead up to Madeline putting the house on the market like it just felt like it kind of came out of nowhere because they needed Madeline to be doing something and it needed to be related to the theme of like moving on from your past yeah, I do think it's kind of interesting, and they only barely mention it, um, that, and I kind of wish they'd done a little bit more with it, that, like, that she spent all season fixing it up. Right. But she wasn't and fixing it, it up like she wanted to improve it. if they kind of built in the it. idea, <laughs> yeah, if they had been, like, obviously it got blown up, but, like, if they had been fixing it up and, like, sort of the implication that when this is done like 
that what they didn't realize is that part of the reason they were fixing it up was because she was going to sell Exactly, it. yeah. I think they're trying to, like, say that they've been setting that up, but that was never set up. It's just been a thing where, like, Madeline is mad that her house was blown up and things keep, like, coming up as a result of the blow up of the house. And, like, that's just been played yeah. as a joke. I feel like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I felt from either Madeline or Michael that this is as big of a deal as they're pretending both characters consider it to be. Oh, no. It's, like, the weakest part of the episode. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It also is random that Sam and Michael are at Madeline's house at all. Like, later on, it makes sense because Fiona and her brother are staying at Michael's loft in a couple of scenes. But, like, for now, they're just hanging out at the foreclosed house. So there's no reason why they need to be at Madeline's house. Like, it doesn't make any sense why they would be there, except for so they could run into the realtor. But moving on. Um, so Sam and Michael go stake out the place that they believe... Uh, O'Neill is staying at and they realize as they're doing so that Fiona has also been uh, tracking this guy and she is also there and about to make a very big mistake and she also thinks that he's there alone but O'Neill has been waiting for her and has a bunch of goons with him so the way that Michael decides to warn her because she won't answer her phone is uh, he is going to drive Mrs. Reynolds uh, remember 39 going on 22's bright red car off of the roof of where he and Sam are scouting from and it like dramatically comes off of the roof and crashes into the ground startling the bad guys long enough for Fiona to recognize the car realize something is wrong and drive away um he drives the car off the roof of like a parking garage yeah that's like you know on, on the other side of the street or something it's fucking crazy this is a good episode of television <laughs> is what I'm saying it's and it was definitely a practical he drives effect. that car it was very, very impressive to watch. Yeah. Um, I just have a note in my notes that says, he drove that car off that building. <laughs> he sure did. At first, I didn't, I think I might have been taking notes or something. I didn't realize that Michael Weston wasn't in the car until right, like, I thought he was in the car and just like. Drove. Oh, was he not in the no, car? No, 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 no. Because he, he didn't dukes of hazard it. He's up on the roof still with Sam looking over and being like, I'm so sorry, Sam. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that makes more because sense. Because as I watched it crash into the ground, like, I was like, no Michael one could survive Exactly. That. I was like, Michael Wesson is dead. Michael Wesson has tilled himself. Uh, but no, he I, he must have, I, I guess, like wedged something from the roof into the like, Yeah, he put like a brick exactly. in there or something. Uh, but I did think that it was Michael was in that car until I saw it Im- impact the ground. And I was like, there's no fucking way. There's no way Michael is in that car. But I think I missed the bit where he was up there, much like you yeah, missed exactly. the bit. Because I think... I assumed he just made it because he's a spy. <laughs> and he just has, he's got Wolverine bones. Exactly. Yeah. All spies have Wolverine bones. <laughs> That's the thing that they don't tell you. Uh, yeah. So uh, Fee and Sean, tails between their legs, appear back at Michael's loft and are like, we're sorry. We almost got killed because we didn't listen to you. Uh, so there's a new plan. Michael is going to pretend to be an American. Uh, Sean is skeptical that he's going to be able to pull that off. And everyone exchanges looks like, wow, Michael Weston has a great Irish accent. So great. He couldn't possibly be an American. Uh, and Michael is like the... the pl- that feels like a, just like acknowledging that his accent is bad. It does. But also it's like in world. Like I'm trying to not metagame the episode. I'm trying to live where they're at. And boy, howdy. Oh, but the thing is that like you have to metagame <laughs> that bit. Like that's only a meta bit. Like... 
It is. It's. It, it is. A, yeah. It's a funny moment because like, they're all like, like that, there's like eight different cuts in this scene where they're just like somebody says something and they all look at each other. <laughs> it's like they're yeah. they're like half a step away from breaking the fourth wall entirely. It it was a, a funny exactly. little setup. But anyway, so Sean is skeptical that Michael can pretend to be an American. But anyways, American Michael is going to go meet with uh, O'Neill and say that he knows where Fiona is so that they can like set him up and um get him that way so we cut to michael what if he had pretended to to do a bad american accent (laughs) i was actually waiting for that when he was gonna because he he drops it i think in this scene for a little bit as like an example and i was really hoping for that like to hear like what michael weston's irish accent pretending to be american accent would be I, it's not quite orphan black, so I, I wasn't expecting too much, but I would I think that would have been funny. Um, but anyways, so in the next scene, Michael Weston crashes a lunch with O'Neill as Paul Smith, and says that he is. Oh, they're like, hey, go away. We don't know who you are. Leave us alone. And he's like, oh no, I I think I'm at the right table. This is the planning for the Glen Ann Wake, and I was like, oh, that's kind of a boss line. Yeah, no, that's a good line. Also, I like the last name Glen Ann. I don't think we've ever talked about it, but like, I think it's like a really elegant, pretty name. It sounds like like a it is it, like a magical wood with like a pond. Yeah, it does. Like out by Glen Ann, the the hills of very, the hills of Glen Ann. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, anyways, all that kind of like Celtic. Mm-hmm. All that Celtic shit. Yeah. Um. All that Celtic shit. So Michael's Mike Paul Smith. Uh, who Michael is pretending to be, his cover is he's an arms dealer. An American. Yeah, he's an American. Hi, I'm Paul Smith, American. <laughs> he's also an arms dealer who employs Fiona. And he's like, but I, I've actually like tapped her phone because, you know, I'm an arms dealer and I don't trust anybody. And I overheard that she's having some problems with you. And um, honestly, like, I could take or leave her. So if you want her... That's fine. I'll like turn her over to you, but I have just hired her to do a job for me, so you're gonna have to pick up the slack on that. Uh, the idea being that he's gonna, they're gonna have these goons do a job for him, and they'll get caught on that before they ever turn Fiona over. Um, and O'Neill is like, mm, maybe, and he's like, all right, bye, and he leaves him a, a card. So the, the the table has been set, but no one has taken a bite yet. Uh, then Michael and Sam go back to Madeline's house where Strickler arrives with Michael's lies for the CIA. Like he made him a little packet of like lies. And it turns out that part of the lie is to help Strickler set up a relationship with a Somali warlord. Michael says, no thanks. And Strickler's kind of pissed. But then O'Neill calls to say that he is interested in the arms deal job that Michael's alias told him about. So they go meet with him. Because, like, the thing with the Smalley Warlord, again, his thing, basically, Strickler's plan is, we're not going to say that you're good, basically. We're not going to say that all that stuff didn't happen. We're going to say that this guy vouches for you and you're good now. And you won't be cleared. You're just back in your job. And, like, Michael really wants to be cleared mm-hmm. more than he wants to be back. Yeah, because his his reputation is as important as his employment. Which, and also it would allow Strickler, because uh, the Somali warlord is doing Michael a solid, theoretically, in this situation, Strickler gets something out of that deal as well. Like, he gets to set up an operation with the Somali warlord or yeah. something, something. But I think that's interesting. I think, like... 
I think this is a cool conflict. Well, so here's something that confused me, because the way that you just described it could be right. The way that I interpreted it, and maybe I just wasn't paying attention, but I took from that that the Somali warlord was going to cover for Michael and give him an alibi. So, like, during the period of time that you think Michael Weston was running around doing all this bad stuff, he was actually lying low with the Somali warlord, because the Somali warlord, there was a legit um, thing that was happening with him, but all of the agents that were assigned to it were killed. So no one can like call bullshit and if michael claims that he was part of that you know nobody can say oh no you weren't because everyone else is dead and the somali warlord was going to say oh no he was with me the whole time he couldn't have done all of this stuff that's what i thought that this was it's kind of it is unclear but it's still the implicate but whatever it is it's still just like not clearing him. Well, I think it is. I think my version, it's clearing him, but it's explicitly only, he's only getting this alibi because Strickler wants something out of the Somali warlord. So like Michael Weston is largely cleared, but then from then on is implicated in like Strickler getting to do business with a bad guy. Interesting. I like have to go back and watch it. Yeah, I, I, I may be imagining a slightly better version of this, and and that, and I'm not sure either because like both of our explanations could have been what it was, um, and we have no way of knowing because we were we refused to watch this episode more than once. Yeah, but either way, Michael is not convinced, and then O'Neill calls, so they have to go deal with that. So before we go deal with that, there's a quick sibling scene between Sean and Fiona about why Michael McBride isn't coming back to Ireland with her, and then nothing is resolved. Everything's fine. And then Michael comes to pick them up for the O'Neill meet. And Sean tells Michael how glad he is that he's around. Um, Cause he, he thinks this dude is solid as hell and is definitely Irish. So they all go see O'Neill. So Irish. Yeah. I do think all these little character scenes are well-written. They're fine. It's just like, they're so short. Like I, even in my, my recap, it's like, then they do a thing. They have one conversation. We move to the next thing and they have one conversation. Then we move to the next thing. It just, it like nothing. There's not a lot in each scene. And also I don't care about Fiona's brother or how, what he thinks about Michael. <laughs> like I've never met this guy before. I have no capacity for like how Fiona feels about her brother or her family really. So like, it's kind of like whatever. You know, if this guy likes Michael or I don't not. Know, I like the actor. I think it's a fun performance. It is, but like, I don't care about him. But I don't know. I like the actor makes me care about him. I think, like, I think the performance makes me care about him. Sure. Um, so they go to the O'Neill meet, and Fee, Sam, and Sean are waiting with sniper rifles as Michael goes to meet with them because, um, as they clearly suspected, O'Neill tries to, like, torture Fiona's uh, location out of Michael. Like, uh, actually, we don't want to do your job for you. We just want you to tell us where she is and we're going to shoot off fingers until you tell us. And then like three laser pointers show up on O'Neill's chest and Michael's like, "Mm, you think I came alone? You dumbass. I'm Paul Smith. Paul Smith doesn't go anywhere alone. And um, so they get him to back off and think a little harder. Paul Smith walks around with a crew, (laughs) guns, and an American flag. (laughs) Because he's a true American. So O'Neill's like, fine, I guess I might have to work with you. And Michael's like, yep. Back at the loft, we discover that they're going to set up O'Neill. Well, no, you, like, no, this is good. This is a great scene. Yeah, it's a fine scene. You also, like, miss, like, the main thing that happens. Like, oh, that Sean tries to kill him because Sean is. Yeah, yeah, like, there's a really great, it's, like, a really great scene because 
Uh, yeah, Michael goes in. First of all, like, I think it's fun that they've decided that they're not, like, Michael's going in thinking, like, oh, we're going to do this plan. And it's, they're like, no, we're not going to do this plan. The thing that's kind of fun about O'Neill is that they're always ahead of Michael. Michael's always, like, kind of having to panic in this episode. Well, I feel like he knew what like, he was getting into. Like, there's a reason plans... that three of them had sniper rifles pointed directly at him. No. I mean, like, there's obviously he's not stupid, so he brings backup. But um, he did go in thinking we might be able to still do this. Like, and I think the episode plays it like there's a still a good chance that, like, going into the scene, we think that, well, their plan is going to work because plans usually work on burn notice. So, yeah, and it becomes the scene where, like, again, O'Neill doesn't buy it. He's just going to, like, we're going to just get the location out of you. And Sean, Fee, and Sam all have snipers. And so he's got all these, like, he's got three sniper dots on him. And O'Neill says, okay, fine, I'll work with you. Just take off the sniper dots. And then all but one then, go away because Sean exactly, is, yeah, like, Sean thinking that he can just like, take him out. He can, he can definitely take him out. He can take all of them out. Um, I don't know. I don't buy this because, like, He's like, I had a clear shot. And then the next scene, Michael's like, yeah, but then they all would have shot me. And he's like, no, I could have shot all of them. And Michael's like, you had five clean shots that you could have gotten off before any of them shoot me who are right next to them. And I don't believe that Sean is that stupid. I also, the whole time I was like, Fiona, I also just, think just that Sean Fiona reach over and cover, cover his laser pointer. The laser pointer is not near the like, I shooting also mechanism. think that like, just cover it. Uh, yeah, but like. If you, like, move fast on him, he might shoot. Like, he's holding, like... And, like, also, there's the implication that, like, Sean likes Michael. Sean, like... But he doesn't, like, care that much. Like, if it make if it means that, like, Fee is definitely alive and this is over, he might be able to just write off Michael and be like, well, that sucks, but... Yeah, it sucks that that guy died, but my sister is safe. I, I think it's a really... Tense scene. It is definitely a tense scene. I think it went on for a little too long. Um, but like ultimately, like Maybe nothing like happens. E- everything resolves long. fine. Like Michael and O'Neill are chill. O'Neill's gonna go through with it. Michael is safe. Everyone is fine. But like, I, I don't know. I think I think it's a well done scene. I thought it was clever. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, it was definitely tense. Like it it like I felt it in the moment. Like as the moments were going by, it was like, oh god. What's going to happen? Um, I, I mean, I knew it was going to happen. Michael was never going to get shot. But, like, I don't know. It it was fine. Well, it like, le- Michael wasn't. Oh, well, yeah. But, I mean, like, he could have shot that dude. He could have. And then, like, Michael could have gotten captured or something. Or, like, it, things could have gone bad. Honestly, I think that would have been more interesting. If Sean had killed O'Neill in that moment, Michael got kidnapped and then they have to deal with this weird thing where usually their plan is to take out the bid, the like the leader. The leader's been taken out, but the rest of the guys are still there trying to like maybe like vying for control in like a power vacuum sort of a situation. And so it turns from Fiona being the client to Michael being the client. And Michael like kind of ha- Yeah, but that's not like the thing that they're that's not the story they're yeah, trying I know, to tell. But that would have been cool. I don't know. Um, so everything is fine and they're back at the loft. So we discover that the 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 way in which and I actually really like this thing. Um, I don't know why it really appealed to me, but it did. So we learned earlier that O'Neill is like a, a bomber who has never been connected to anything, but there's like 13 or so bombings that he has been semi-accused of, but they could never connect it to him. But uh, as a bomber, he has like a signature bomb. 
And so Fiona, who's worked with him before, has like the blueprints for the bombs that he likes to make. So they're going to make one of his, O'Neill's signature bombs and like plant it on him so that when he goes to do this like job for Michael, uh, a.k.a. Paul Smith, he'll get caught red handed with the bomb that they can not only like is a bad thing because it's a bomb, but also is tied to all of his actual things. So they're setting him up to get like they're framing him for things that he's actually done, which I thought was clever. And I liked that, like, the way that they're going to do that is because Fiona has insider knowledge of his shit and can build the bomb that he always builds, like his, you know, his preferred bomb design. And we do get a good bomb-making montage. Yeah. We haven't actually had a bomb-making montage in a while. Yeah. And those are fun. The montages have been kind of light this season. But, yeah, this was a fun one, and there was, like, it was thick, and, like, Sean is there. And it's, like, it's a fun little, like, family bonding moment. And I liked it. I liked this scene a lot. Um, uh, and so this is the scene where Sean reveals some bad news. Someone named Jack Tracy. So it's like an old man who lives in their old neighborhood. That's where, that's the Tracy name Mm. drop. Yeah. Um, that's why you probably missed it because it's like, he only says it once and it's just like this random guy they know back home, um, reveals that, uh, he, they found out from this old man in their neighborhood named Jack Tracy that O'Neill doesn't actually want to kill Fiona. That's not why he's in town. He's going to kidnap her and sell her to the highest Irish bidder because of all the other people in Ireland who hate her. (laughs) So he's not actually out for his own blood. He's like, I'm going to sell you to someone who hates you more than me. And I will get like clout. And also lots of money. So it's actually a little more complicated. Did we also say that, like, the reason that this is all happening is because Fee contacted her mom because she's moving back to Ireland? Um, maybe. I don't know if it's actually confirmed how they know, A, where Fiona is. No, they, no, they say oh, that. Oh, do they? Like, that they, they, that, they were listening in on her mom or something? Or her mom told somebody and they Yeah, that they heard that, that she had, like, talked to people in Ireland. And that maybe she, like, and then found out where she was. Got it. Well. Like, just, like, a little thing that connects with, like, everything. So, like, all of this is happening because of V's move. Like, it's all sort of connected. Mm-hmm. I did like that, like, the twist is he's actually not trying to kill her at all. He's trying to sell her. And I think that makes O'Neill more interesting. And I also think it makes the conflict more interesting. Because now we know, like, I there's an so. opportunity for Fiona to, like, just be caught with O'Neill. And we get to maybe see her, like, try to break herself out. Like, I did enjoy that. Because if they're just trying to kill her, that's kind of boring. Like, there's not, there's not really anywhere you can escalate from there. But the idea that they're just trying to kidnap her and, like, human traffic her, I think is a really interesting sort of twist. Like, it's rare that the twist is is it's actually less violent, but possibly more destructive, what they're trying to do. Yeah. So I thought that was cool. That was a cool sort of mid-season, mid-episode twist. Uh, Michael stops by Madeline's for some supplies, and uh, they have a short conversation about moving on and leaving things behind. And then she's like, well, I'm throwing away the house, so here's some of your stuff. I didn't want to throw it out without talking to you. And it's apparently two full boxes of model airplanes from Michael's childhood, which he is very touched by um, that she has them and that he might potentially get to keep them. And then that scene is over. Um, This is again, like one of those scenes where it's like, there's like a touching moment between Michael and his mom and the acting is good, but like, I don't believe either of them. I have not seen any indication. I do. This one, I believe a little bit more. Because the acting is good and we Um, actually get to live in the moment rather than like a weird quick, like back and forth with a realtor named Tiffany. Yeah, and I also like the scene is good. While but I'm I don't definitely it. not someone, <laughs> I'm definitely not someone who has like a home. Like I could imagine if 
my mom had like a box of stuff from my childhood, I'd be like, oh, because I also, I like Michael, do not keep things. I also like that Michael Weston's childhood self is equally as boring as his adult self. And he chose the most boring oh, of childhood activities, which is building model airplanes. That's like such a thing for like a certain generation mm-hmm. of dudes. Yeah, it's, yeah, it feels very like specific to that generation. Anyways, so now Michael groups up with Fee and Sean back at the foreclosed safe house. Michael and Fee have an emotional moment about like her going back and then being like, we just can't be together while you're still seeking for your CIA. Like I, I, I feel bad that, you know, we have to leave each other, but ultimately, you know, you force me into this, you force my hand and I'm excited to go home and see my family. Uh, and then they all get gassed and overtaken by Irish goons who've tracked them down. Sean is lit the fuck up with bullets. Fiona is taken and Michael is left alive and called by his real name, but knocked out on the floor. Michael wakes up with Madeline, who's there for some reason, and Sam both trying to save Sean's life, even though it looks dicey as fuck. And I do not believe that he is still alive, but go off i guess uh michael rushes to confront yeah. strickler well madeline like held like put pressure so it's fine <laughs> and she's just there for some reason um well no sam said that uh he called her because he did not want to go to the cops or not go to the yeah he did not want to go to a hospital so madeline was a good second second choice yeah it's like <laughs> basically madeline is someone that they trust I do like this episode, whatever, but like, I like that this season has been taking a lot of swings with including Madeline in the antics. I yeah. really enjoyed Madeline. And also season. like, apparently like calling Madeline is just becoming Sam's go-to. Like he lives with mm-hmm. her. Well, does he like, still live with her? At least lived with her for a it's bit. It's not clear. I don't know, but he did for a bit. And like earlier, like last week or the week before, um, no, yeah, last week he was like, we should um, use her for a case. And then next week, he's also going to say, we should use her for a case. I think, like, Sam just, like, they're buds and they, like, they're becoming go-to people This for is why other. I wanted to see a scene while they're living together, just, like, having a roommate time. I can't believe they're robbing us of um, what must be gold. Uh, anyways, but yeah, no, I really like that. I like that Madeline is more involved now and that she's proving herself pretty well. It's like, she doesn't necessarily play exactly by their rules, but like she, you know, she's game. She's down. And I, I like that. I think it's a way more interesting choice than just her, you know, complaining all the time about like people not telling her anything and that, but also. I also think it's good in this episode, in this moment, because this is like the most vulnerable that Michael ever is. Or has been up to this point. I don't think things have ever, like, things rarely get quite this bad for Michael. Yeah. And so, like, to have, like, the plan have gone this bad and to have, like, this other guy, like, possibly dying and then, like, Fee just be taken and have him just, like, this put through the ringer. Now he's just a scared kid and his mom is there. It, I, it really kind of makes him seem vulnerable. No, for sure. Um, I just, it was just very odd to see Madeline there like, yep, I'm saving this man with lots of bullet holes who I've never met. So Michael kind of puts it together in this moment that like the only person who could have possibly set them up and who knew enough information to do so was Strickler. So Strickler is involved and Michael runs to like confront him. It turns out that Strickler actually set up this whole thing because Fiona, you know, his gun running violent girlfriend is really hurting Michael's chances of getting back in the good graces of the CIA. And so the like 
solution is to get rid of Fiona. Just move her back to Ireland. And hey, if he can make a buck in the sending Fiona back, like, why not? Um, and this is where I make the note that, like, this is the most interesting that Trickler has ever been. It's the best acting we've seen from him. I really don't hate it. I like this turn. And I like that Strickler was like, yeah, I saw an opportunity and I took it. It's good for you. It's good for me. This is fine. She was already going to go back. Like, why are you upset? Like, listen, people were probably going to find her anyways. I'm just like speeding up the inevitable and making some cash out of it. But like, it's going to be fine. She was leaving you anyways. Who cares? And then Michael shoots him. Uh, like the, the way that it happens is that like Michael's kind of looking down, like so kind of discombobulated and like, oh my God, I can't believe all this stuff is happening. Uh, Strickler screams at him to forget the past, which is, if you'll remember, the theme of the episode. And then Michael Weston's head snaps up. There is a sound effect that is associated with his head snapping up for some reason, like a cartoon character, like, or something like that. Uh, and then Michael screams, Fiona is not my past, which, while a little on the nose, is romantic as hell, and shoots Strickler dead. <laughs> I did like this. Again, I don't mind the on the nose stuff, because I think this is all interesting. I think, well, yeah, this is the best Strickler's ever mm-hmm. been. And like, Also, the line, Fiona is not my past, is like, I fucking felt that. I felt that in my soul when he screamed yeah. that. I really enjoyed that. Um, I just, I wish that Strickler had been more interesting leading up to this. Cause like every episode we're like, what is Strickler doing? He's just like there, not really doing anything interesting. Yeah. Again, it's like kind of, yeah, it's kind of a non-entity. Like there is probably not, the problem is that like, this is the only thing they can do with this plot. Like, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? This episode and like, they've decided that they're going to do this episode. Mm-hmm. And so it just got to like remind you of all the conflicts and just in general because it's a show that only does like anything approaching like a mythology episode on like the mid-season finale it's just got to be a lot of reminding you of stuff and i would be fine with that i just like once again like my refrain from this episode of our podcast is i don't think any of this was earned i think it's a great ending but i don't think they earned it like, I think it's a great kind of culmination of the Fee and Michael argument about, like, what it's going to take for him to get back into the CIA and whether or not he should go back anyways. I think it's a great ending to the Strickler plotline. Um, I, like, I think there's a lot of really great, powerful moments in this episode, and I don't think that anything else in this season has, like, earned that for them. I will also say that one of the things about this show being such an episodic show is that that bugs me less than if this show was more serialized. Because you have uh, lower expectations? They have lower expectations, but it's also like, it's a show that begs you to consider it on an episode-by-episode basis. Like, the arc arc stuff is always the weakest, and, like, this show is always a show that's best on an episode level. So I don't think it has to be that way. It doesn't though. I think, bug me as much. I think they could have done an episodic style television show that had a stronger like episode to episode arc. Because like they're obviously doing like telling they're doing long form storytelling. Like it's not like they're completely avoiding it. You know, it's not like you can pick up any burn notice episode and everything would make sense about it, even if you've never seen anything else. And I just I feel like there is enough here that they could have done a better job. They just didn't. I mean, yeah. I mean, they definitely could have done a better job. I what, More what I'm saying is that the fact that they didn't do a better job 
doesn't ruin this episode as much for me than if it was a show that was a little bit better at doing serialized plot lines, but also kind of like kind of dragged its heels on this plot. No, I, I hear what you're saying. And I'm I'm I don't want it to come across like I didn't like this episode because I did. I just I'm tr- I, I really do like to see things in context. Like one of the things that I love about television is that we get so much more time to explore like character and decision making. And I feel like this show has so much potential that it just never lives up to. So whenever it makes big swings like this, I'm like, I respect these swings. I wish that there had been more like to make it feel earned. Like I love moments of television where like, you know, I'm like cheering you know, I, I felt it a little in this scene when Michael screams, Fiona is not my past. Like that gave me an emotional reaction because that's something that I feel like it generally earned because like this is this is definitely a conflict he and Fiona have been having over the course of basically the entire show. But like I didn't feel that same catharsis because I didn't feel it like the pent up like waiting for it, you know, of these other plots. No, yeah. And I love that catharsis. That catharsis is why I watch television. And I I just yeah. I didn't get it. And so that leaves me feeling a lot colder. I don't think that's yeah, I I, I don't think this show is good at like that's yeah, not and it's too bad. Because it could show be can do. It, and it's a shame. But I will say another thing that I do like about this plot, which I think is really interesting and about like this episode as opposed to other like mid-season finales and even season finales is that normally when this show does finales they're very plotty but they kind of just become action episodes that are about like the idea of the burn notice or about like michael wanting this job or whatever and like about the machinations of spy things, but aren't necessarily like telling character stories. I like that this episode is specifically about him and Fee in a way that it generally isn't. Like these end episodes always feel, even when they're good, like the season two finale is like good, but it's also just like an action episode. And I there's not a whole lot of like, character conflict or anything going on there whereas this does this like kind of has again like character ideas and thematic ideas and it's about yeah yeah no i i I, it's about the character relationships in a way that these finales aren't generally yeah no i i feel that and i i mean we you know we talked about it at the beginning of the episode but it the episodes are always better when an like an actual character that we care about is the client because it's like the the clients as we talked about are kind of the weakest part of the show we've talked about that in a couple of episodes now and so when the client is someone we already have a relationship with you know be it victor from the season two finale or fiona our favorite girl um that definitely gives us more connection to the plot and it makes every decision that they make a lot more interesting because we get to see these characters like in a slightly new situation and i do like that um, yeah. I hope that in some thing, late like, season, Michael becomes the client. I think that that would be a really interesting exploration that I, I don't know be. if they'll ever do, but like, that's what I'm hoping for. Especially once Jesse comes on board in season four, I assume it's season four because it's like, there's, he's in it for long enough that like, I think so. it has to be. Yeah. I think it's, but like four. once they have I'm a, sure you know, a team of four. three plus Michael, they have more options for that. So I really, really do hope that that becomes a thing. Maybe in like the final season or something that they'll feel like they can finally do that. But I'm looking forward to that. 
Yeah. So, anyways. And that's the thing, actually. Like, because the season two finale, like, yeah, the big emotional, like, crux of that is uh, Michael and, and Victor. Victor. And, like, Victor has been a non-entity. And the thing is that even though, like, this whole plot line with them arguing about the Strickler thing has been really repetitive, it's still, there's obviously so much more built into Michael and Fee than there is in Michael and Victor. Yeah, exactly. Um, Similar amounts of sexual chemistry. Yes, sure. Anyways, so we're, we're almost at the end of the episode, so let's let's finish this out. So Michael calls Sam with what he got from Strickler's phone and confirms that Sean is stable. So Sean made it through somehow with, that, with like, riddled with bullets, not going to the hospital, just with Sam and Madeline. You know what? You know what that is? What? Look at the Irish. <laughs> Jesus Christ is risen. We're recording this on Easter. Uh, so Michael goes to pick up <laughs> Sam and heads to the docks for their final showdown. There's a quick scene, uh, extremely violent. Uh, oh, no. Wait, no. First, there's a quick scene between Fiona and O'Neill, um, which doesn't really go anywhere. It's just like, I'm going to sell you. And Fiona's like, that sucks. And O'Neill's like, yeah, sucks for you. And so then it ends. Uh, we see a wetsuited Michael Weston stashing the the bomb that they're going to use to set him up on the boat that they're about to all like escape in. Um, then there is a big shootout, very violent. Fiona manages to wiggle away even while her hands are bound and she's still got like her her mouth covered and she like dives into the water on the docks. And then Sam and, and Michael like shoot in such a way that uh, wounds enough of the guys and kind of leads them into the boat so that they have to take the boat and leave uh, so that then Sam can call it into the Coast Guard and be like, hey, some guys were in a boat loading something suspicious. I think that there's a bomb. Um, but like they need him to get on the boat and drive away in order for that to work. Michael goes to fish Fiona out of the water and there's like a brief this scene was very weird for me the very end of it like Fiona is acting very dramatic and like it's it looks like Michael's gonna have to do that thing where he has to like give her emergency CPR and like try to get the water out of her lungs but she's actually fine she's just making a lot of very bizarre sputtering and like gasping noises but doesn't look like she has any water in her lungs and like I don't know it just it felt it was a very off scene it, for me yeah it's kind of unclear it seems like she almost drowned but but she like, like but why I don't know if they couldn't I don't know if they just couldn't rig that to work right yeah and like her rea- like this was and very so- weird acting because i couldn't tell what was happening like and, and like her her reaction made it seem like she was a lot more hurt than she was like he kind of turns her over and he finds out that she's got like she got i think she probably got grazed by a bullet yeah she winces a lot and we will have conversations when about this in this like and a- next episode but like yeah she she it it, it like i think uh she got nicked by a bullet so like it didn't go very deep clearly yeah. uh and she doesn't have a bullet in her arm it's like a there's a clear sort of pathway that the bullet took but she's acting like she's been shot up like Sean and in some ways she's acting more hurt than Sean who was literally riddled with bullets in his entire torso um, and Fiona's acting yeah. very dramatically. So we go to the, the final scene, the second to last scene. There is a moment in this, like, cause they do the thing that I'm always tired of, but like they do the thing where like Michael, like carries her out of the ocean yeah. in his arms, but like he's walking out of the o- ocean, walking out of the water with her in his arms and he like trips and falls. Yeah, I noticed that too. Because, like, the, I think the, the, like, the, the, like, tide or something kind of knocked into him. Yeah. 
And it's so, like, melodramatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole, like, final sequence was very odd. So we cut to uh, Madeline's house where Michael is nursing the two wounded Glen Ann siblings back to health. Um, Fiona is, like, fully conked out um, and has a he has a heart-to-heart with Sean, who is largely fine, it seems like. Honestly, again, more fine than Fiona is. And they have a heart-to-heart about him being like, Turn, I, I always thought you were one of us, but it turns out you're actually Michael Weston. And Michael's like, yep. And he's like, well, you were one of us after all. I actually love you even more now. Uh, but of course, now that you've been added as an American spy and everyone knows that Fiona knew that you were an American spy, neither of you can ever come back to Ireland. Please don't come back to Ireland. You will die. Uh, but I'm glad that you guys are together and I'm glad that you were such a ride or die bro, even though you are not actually Irish. Um, although you definitely fooled me. Then... Fiona and him have a small heart-to-heart where she's acting very out of it, despite the fact that, once again, I'm pretty sure she's fine. (laughs) Like, based on the severity of everyone's injuries. Even Michael's injuries, because, like, Michael got knocked around at one point by someone. I don't remember who. Maybe Strickler? Who knows? Michael's... Oh, no, he got, like, punched out by when Fiona got kidnapped. Yeah, he got Arguably, punched out. Arguably, Michael Weston by, oh, has, no, like, yeah. a concussion and way worse has is way worse off than Fiona, who got, like, slightly grazed by a bullet, but whatever. So they have, like, a small heart-to-heart. She's going to stick around. Maybe, like, that one scene of him, of Michael getting Fee out of the water <laughs> is, like, is he... an expressionist, <laughs> like... Maybe he hit her, he, he, when he illustration tripped, of her his head hit the ground. state. Yeah. And so he, he actually hurt her more than anyone else did. Who knows? So oh uh, as they're having their heart to heart, Michael gets a call from a panicked Diego um, who just now found out that Michael was working with Strickler. He's like, but that's confusing because we knew he knew he was working with Strickler. Like, yeah, that was weird. But the indication is that Diego is guess- like, how could you not tell me you're working with Strick- this guy named Strickler? He's terrible. He's so connected, but in bad ways. Something's going to happen. You have to come meet me. The way I read this, the only way that this made sense at all, other than just they didn't communicate, which is what happened. Yes. But is that he knew that the that Michael was looking into Strickler, but didn't know who Strickler was. And it wasn't until, like, some shit went down that Diego got briefed on Strickler. I mean, he he knew enough to make calls about him. Well, but the thing is that in the last... The thing was that, like... And when he called about him in the past... Like, earlier when he investigated what he was looking into Strickler... Like, he was like, I don't know what that was about, but, like, I got super shut down. That's some crazy shit. I don't know what that was. And, like, so, like, he didn't seem to know anything about Strickler then. So, But now he seems to know things about Strickler. So it seems like maybe he got briefed or something. I don't know. That's the only way that makes sense. It doesn't make sense, but, yeah. Yeah, so that... That's my headcanon for how uh, that works. That's fair. Um, You're definitely giving them a lot of the benefit of the doubt, but regardless, Diego is like... Oh, 100%. It doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Diego's like, you've been working with Strickler. How dare you? He's so dangerous. And now he's dead. And and there's somebody in town cleaning up the mess. And now they're after me. You have to come get me. And so Michael's like, okay, I'll come to you. But then when Michael rushes to Diego's apartment building, there's a group of people ogling something outside. And as Michael pushes his way to the front, he discovers that Diego is 
is dead on the ground of an apparent like jumping suicide. End of episode. Poor Diego. I know. I mean, but like he He of the honest face. He had too honest of a face. He was too beautiful to live. Um, But I think that Diego was used well. Like I and I also like that, like and we talked about this, I think, last week. I like that Diego was a good dude from the beginning to the end. He was consistent about his opinion of Michael. Michael never won him over. And in fact, in some ways, the Diego-Michael plotline made Michael look like the asshole in a way that he's rarely allowed to be depicted. And I thought that was an interesting tension. And also Diego is like a really charismatic actor. So every scene with them was delightful um, between the two of them. So I'm sad he's gone, but I feel like he fully had the, like lived up to his potential. Like, I think that that was a, a character that they did a good job with. Oh, I'll give it that. I could have used a little bit more. Oh, for sure. But, yeah. but I never felt like he was wasted. Like, there was never a Diego scene that I was like, we didn't need that. Or like, what was the point of this? Yeah. Um. So, uh, spy tip section is going to be weird this week. Because there was, there was very little, like, voiceover at all. Like, it was a very sparse voiceover episode to begin with. There were only, like, six or seven actual moments of voiceover. Uh, but also, they were all about, like, the emotions of, like, spies shouldn't get attached. So none of them were really practical. This is the only one, this one that I'm going to read is the only one that you could kind of argue is practical. But, like, this episode definitely fails this, you know, tenet. So um, I'll just read it and we can decide whether or not this episode has any spy tips. But, um... Yeah. Number one, bomb makers like master chefs tend to have a signature dish. If you can duplicate it, you can leave their fingerprint wherever you want. Since bombs are designed to remove an obstacle, or some bombs are designed to remove an obstacle, some bombs are designed to be loud and scary, while other bombs are just designed to kill and maim. So that last part is sort of useless. The only thing that I could theoretically get out of the spy tip is like, bombers usually have a signature type of bomb so if you can figure that out you can like frame a bomber (laughs) and maybe there's something there about like you can use different bombs for different things bombs are more versatile than you may realize yeah but like they don't actually tell us like how you might differentiate them like in previous episodes there have been things like if you want to build a flash bomb which will just like make a lot of noise but not actually like really hurt anyone this is how you build it with like tinfoil and stuff like that so I kind of don't think this is anything. And this is the only one that was even maybe something. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't super think it's anything either. That's zero out of five. We previously had an episode that had one spy Mm -hmm. tip. I thought, well, that's the worst. It's not going to get worse than that. (laughs) And then, yeah, every time we think this episode, this, this show can't get worse. It can. Uh, just kidding. This was a fine episode. So let's let's move on to rating because I like this one. A yeah, lot. I liked it. It was fine. Like I, I didn't like it as much as other ones. I felt like there were too many just sort of like getting to the next step scenes where I felt like even though like there were strong writing and character moments, like I didn't feel like enough happened in most of these individual scenes. Like usually when I'm recapping, I have to like take a step back when I'm writing it down. I'm like, I don't actually need this much detail. But when I was recapping this episode, it was like, I wrote one sentence and then I watched the scene. I was like, yep, that sentence encompasses it. Let's move on. Like it just, it felt very step by step by step. But it's all like kind of, I think, but part of the reason that that is, is because generally this show shunts off character moments to little scenes like character moments and character scenes on this show tend to have to do more in shorter periods of times because like the a plot is not about character at all whereas all of this is about character yeah but i just didn't feel like enough like, and so like the there were it 
I don't know. It just, it didn't feel like anything really changed or happened. I was never worried that Fiona's brother was going to find out Michael was not who he said he was because he seemed like he had a, a pretty good head on his shoulders, even though he like was violent and loud. Like he seemed like he was, he loved his sister and he trusted his sister and he trusted Michael as a result. So like there wasn't really tension there for me. So any scene between Michael and Sean, I was like, this is nice, but like, I'm not worried that anything is going to happen because Sean seems like a reasonable dude. Um, like the Fiona. But again, I think I like that actor. I think it all works and it's all like well-written and it's like nice. Cause it's all like shading for like the big moments, which are character based in a way. The only big moment in my opinion generally is the Michael screaming. Fiona is not my past. Like that scene was but honestly like, the, the only scene that made of... me care about but like that's like the crux of the episode like i think like everything is built around that yeah no i agree i just feel like it was i just got little drippings in each scene i don't know i just there was never like one scene that i was other than that scene where i was like this is a good scene it was like this is a fine scene yeah there's some good like there's some good writing in here there's some good character but like i don't know there was the scenes were so short like, and then we moved on to the next one and we were like jumping all around that like, I don't know, it was hard for me to really, when I say that I didn't feel like this episode had a lot of meat on the bones, it's because it was mostly bone, you know, it was just like connecting us to the other things. Like I didn't feel like we ever really sat and dug deep into anything because everything was pretty surface level. Like it was all, it was all things considered a pretty shallow episode for one that was the most about character that we've seen. Like we, we didn't get know, deep like, anywhere. We didn't get deep, but like. Again, it was about... It wasn't a very layered It integrated character and... Yeah. It integrated character and plot in a way that I thought the show generally doesn't do. I agree. I just think that, you know, I don't know. It, it, wasn't, an ex, it wasn't an episode that I that is going to stick with me, really. Like, I appreciate what it does, and I wish that more were like it. I just don't feel like this is a particularly strong episode one way or the other. But first, we have to decide whether or not this was a great episode of Burn Notice. So let's briefly go through that. So... Were there at least five practical spy tips? There were not. There were zero practical spy tips. There was like no spy tips whatsoever. Uh, did they solve the weekly case using spycraft over violence? I'm going to argue no. I think that this was a pretty violent episode. No, I don't think they did. <laughs> no, yeah. There... I was watching it, especially at the end, being like, yeah, no, this is just violence. Yeah, like the only two spy-ish <laughs> things they do is Michael figures out from like... So I don't remember exactly how they got the information, but like they... They figure out that he um, is at staying at a specific place in Miami. That's really the only thing they figure out about him. And then he, like, kind of plays him to, like, get him set up. But, yeah, everything is violence or the threat of violence. Well, yeah, because, like, also everything goes wrong. Sure, yeah. And instead of being clever about how they fix it, they're just, like, pointing bigger guns at each other. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, because, like, they can't be clever because they're all, like, emotionally compromised. Sure. Uh, okay, so do we think that Michael trotted out a distinct new alias? Paul Smith the American? <laughs> yeah, Paul Paul Smith the American. <laughs> no, it's not. No. Do we consider Michael McBride a resurgence of an old alias? This is true. This is the one place where I'm willing to potentially I kind of do. I kind of do. I, like... The thing about it, though, is that Michael McBride is just Michael Weston with an Irish accent, the same way that... Tom yeah. Paul Smith is just Michael Weston, but an arms dealer. Like he, there's no here's physicality. The like the next episode, there's physicality. This episode, no. there's not. Okay, here's my thing. I don't know if it's just like holdover from like 
Angel, which is one of my other favorite television shows. But I, I just get, I say one of my other, this isn't one of my favorite television shows, um, <laughs> but it's one of my favorite shows in a way that I get kind of a thrill out of watching people do bad Irish accents. <laughs> You know what? That's fine. Fair. And also like, Michael McBride, like we've seen him before and like we know what such an integral sort of thing t- in his and Fiona's yeah. relationship. You know what? I'll give it to him. We we revisited a distinct alias, Michael McBride. Uh, it's distinct in how indistinct his Irish accent is because it's not an Irish accent. It's something else. Um, and we'll never know. There was also one nice moment. I don't remember exactly what scene it was where Fiona... Ha- like her accent comes out just for the briefest moment, but it's like in a moment of like strong emotion. And I thought that was nice. Yeah, that was nice. I liked that. Um, okay. So we do believe that there is an accent. There's an, a distinct alias. Um, were Fee and Sam used well? So Fee was. I think definitely we can consider this a good Fiona episode. I don't think Sam really did anything. Yeah. Sam didn't do much, but I think, yeah, I think is good on this. This is a good fee episode. But that's a... Even if it's, again, not quite about her, I think she gets a lot to do and... Yeah, yeah and she's got some really good moments. So we get to see some really strong performances from her. Uh, but unfortunately, that's only 1.5 out of uh, 4. So this is... We loosely call that... Yeah. I mean, we, we go back and forth on how we decide about it. But yeah, this is, uh, this is not a great episode of Burn Notice. According to our criteria... It's not. Scientifically. I think that's part of why I like it. <laughs> so are you going to make the argument for a great episode of television? I mean, I am. Interesting. See, I think this is going to be the first time where I disagree. I don't, I think that it does a lot of interesting things and I think it had a lot of, a lot more potential than most did, but I don't think that the episode as a whole, even divorcing it from the fact that I don't believe that it earned a lot of the climaxes that it got to. I don't like this episode as an as its own episode enough. I feel like everything was too it was stretched too thin for me, and I I didn't find it. I didn't really have that problem because again I like I thought there was a lot of fun set pieces. I like the driving the car off a building. That was <laughs> that was fun. very I like the scene. With I was the snipers. not expecting that at all. I like the scene with the snipers. I like the Strickler scene, um, and I think like. All the it's doing a lot of really interesting thematic stuff. It's a little like on the nose, but and like it's also sloppy. These characters in the ways don't. O'Neill episodes are. Sloppy. I don't think it's that sloppy. I think it is because like he never digs deep enough. Like everything stays very surface level. Also, there's like the couple of moments I mean, that we notice. Shallow is different from sloppy. And like, again, these character none of these characters have interiority. Like, usually, and that's why you like, like this, this is a very shallow show, anyway. I, I mean, yes, there are moments where I felt more emotion to it. I don't know. I just, I didn't feel satisfied by the end of this episode. Like there were, epi- there were moments of great catharsis. There was one moment of great catharsis, and then also a car was driven off a roof. I liked like those are the only two scenes that really stand out to me from this scene, this episode. Um, and I don't. And I also don't think it was paced very well because... No, I thought it was... I mean, again, that's harder for you to tell. I thought it was paced pretty well. Like, it, it it moves forward. It just... I don't know. I just felt like there were so many scenes that were just transition scenes. Like, because we glazed over them to, like, talk about the meaty moments. But I felt like, 
like half of this episode was transition scenes. Strickler coming to the but house I, to be they, like they're like well rendered transition scenes, and I like, and I think that they're they a little bit more charactery than the transition scenes normally are because the things that they're talking about are more character focused. It just felt like because again, like they've it integrated the plot into character more than they normally do. I don't disagree with that, but I just feel like we never got to sit in a scene long enough other than like on one or two occasions to really get anywhere. It's like, so like there was a scene, you know, just like to recap briefly, there is um, Michael and Fee have a conversation. Michael and Diego have a conversation. Michael Fee and uh, Sean have a conversation. That's the cold open. Like, it's just a series of, like, each episode, each scene is a single conversation and just to get us to the next scene. Then there's another conversation with Fee and them. Then they have, then there's a, a quick conversation with Sam. Then there's a quick conversation with Strickler uh, where he's like, you might have to lie. Then we, the next time we see Strickler, he's like, here is your lie. I then like the, the third scene time with Strickler, Strickler where he's like, you might have to lie. Like, it's like, I don't know. I think it all works. It's just so short. Like, I don't care that they're short. They get in, they get out. I don't know. I just didn't feel as satisfied by it because it was like each. I did. I felt very satisfied by it. I'm willing to allow that, as we've discussed, it's hard to recap this show and feel really good about it. But like there have been episodes of this show that I've recapped that, you know, bad breaks, obviously, aside, I have enjoyed despite recapping it. I don't think this is one of them. What do we do? No, it's also hard, I think, because for me, like what excites me about this show other than character moments is like the spy craft. And I think that because the spy craft was so lacking, like I'm I'm willing to allow for a little bit shorter scenes if like there's fun, inventive stuff going on. But I didn't feel like anyone was really competent this episode. Like I didn't get to see the exciting competence. Well, no, because it's like not about that. I know. And I like, and that, that made it hard for me because like it's about them being on the like everything goes wrong it's about things being very bad for michael and him kind of like but because i don't i the stakes never felt like anything to me it made it really hard for me to like care like i I just didn't feel the stakes at all so like even though i i agree with all that you're saying obviously yes like obviously yes like and it's hard for me to care about a character episode fee is not going to go stakes No, but the thing is that, like, obviously Fee's not going to go away, nor is she going to get killed. But um, I think Jeffrey Donovan is, like, good at selling the fact that he feels that way. And I think, like, the stakes come from how much the worry about this throws him off his game and what he's willing to do. See, I think you're giving it more credit because you're so happy that there was emotion and character moments. I think that you want to celebrate this episode because you're basically trying to give the show positive reinforcement. This is my biggest argument for why I think you should vote with me because I think that you're giving the show more credit than you ordinarily would because it finally did the thing that you wanted it to. And I don't think that's a good enough reason for it to be a good episode. God, I wish Burn Notice Notice was still a thing. I think it's very much intentional. Like, the whole point is Michael being out of sorts. Like, it's not. He never felt out of sorts to me. Like, he's. No, he super feels out of sorts. But everything he does, like, like, things go wrong, but not because of any fault of his. Like, he remains in control the entire time. Even the episode with the sniper shots, like that read to me, like they were prepared for this. 
It read that, like, they were prepared, but, like... Like, Michael never seems like he's I off feel his like game. A, like, Michael never makes a mistake. If Michael was, like, he's in control... If Michael was in control of that scene, we wouldn't have the thing where Sean almost kills the guy. Like, like... No, but I, I mean more like Michael like and O'Neill. Like, my, I... I, I Got the sense that Michael went into that meeting knowing that O'Neill was going to pull something, which is why they had like a. I think he went in. I think he went in like unsure what was going to happen, but he plans for both of them. Exactly, and that's my that's like, my yeah. my argument is that like all of the like shakiness doesn't come well, from Michael. Haven't it comes from super bad. It comes yet. from Sean and it comes from Fiona. Like Sean and Fiona are making emotional decisions that like make things go wrong. You know, like that's why Michael re- drove the but car also like off the roof again. Michael makes the most emotional decision. When? He kills Strickler. Right, but that's the only good scene. Like, Every other the, moment, and also that was the right decision. It's still like Michael making a good decision. Sure, he makes a slightly more violent decision than he ordinarily would, and I agree that that was a really strong scene, but in the rest of the, the episode, I didn't feel like Michael was out of sorts because Michael is still making all the most reasonable decisions. No, I think decisions. he's like out of sorts like the whole time. He's definitely out of sorts after she gets kidnapped, but like also like... But every decision he makes goes fine. I think fine. it's in the performance. His performance is different. I'm not disagreeing with that, like, but I'm saying that, like, when you're saying his this episode is, is about Michael it, like, being out of sorts because everything is going wrong and, like, you know, Fiona's leaving and he has to come to terms with that, I don't feel like he is. Every epi- every scene he is in prior to that one moment, he is completely in control. And even when he's not, he is still I mean, in control. Again, he's not in control. He's not completely in control. As Michael, he is. Like, he obviously can't control Sean, but, like, he... But that's the point, is that he can't control Sean, like... But I don't care that he can't control Sean. We've never met Sean before. So Michael not being able to control Sean is useless in terms of character development. Like, Michael is still in and of himself. Like, he kept his cool. He, like, he had his plan largely went fine. I don't know. Like, at all, like, every, there's a reek of desperation to everything that he does in this episode. In a way that there generally isn't. I don't know if I agree with that. I also don't see how it affects anything. Because Mike, usually if Michael fucks up, it affects something. Like, but nothing Michael does affects anything. Michael never makes a wrong decision the entire episode. Other people are making decisions around I mean, him. But also, like, other people are, but it still, like, feels like an episode in which he's constantly caught off his guard. I mean, a lot of episodes of Burn Notice are like that, but it just feels more like... He's caught off his guard. He's off his game. See, I don't think he's off his game. See, that's the thing. You keep saying he's off his game, but he's not. (laughs) But also the fact that there's no cool spy stuff. But I don't think that's a result of him being off his game. They just don't have a moment where it makes sense to do that. It feels like part of it. It feels like all of this is way less premeditated. It feels like he doesn't get to do cool spy things. It's like... But it doesn't seem like Michael Weston is being... at a disadvantage as a result of that. No, see, I think it does. Like, because again, like, he never really wins. Like, he never gets one over on O'Neill up until he just finally goes in guns blazing. I mean, he does, though. He gets end. Fiona like, out safely oh... twice in, like, the first 10 minutes of the episode. He escapes from her apartment without any repercussions. Uh, and he also helps her get out of her scrape when they like are driving the car off the roof. Uh, and that only hurts Sam. It doesn't hurt Michael at all. Then later on, um, he goes and meets with the guy and is like, I mean, like, yeah. like Michael is at no point himself 
disadvantage like he other people are making decisions that sometimes screw with him but he, michael doesn't do like it doesn't hurt michael's plan in any significant way because it gets resolved immediately except for the one scene in which it does well, but then it doesn't do it because and like but like the the other guy is like actually i don't trust you at all i'm walking away like the the scene is still fine and michael weston in the scene is still fine no i mean no i mean in the strickler scene like that is the scene in which it does but I would argue like, that, like, Michael Weston killing Strickler is the best decision he could have made at that point. Like, it was... But, like, it ruins his, like, he has to give up his whole thing. His whole thing being, like, his good guy spiel? No, he has to give up getting his job back. I don't think he sees it that way. Even at the end, he's like, I know I'm... I'm, I'm just saying within the episode, because your mm-hmm. argument is that this is a good character episode, which I don't disagree with, and that, like, one of the things you like the most is that Michael Weston, like, is forced to deal with this situation in a way unique from other things, and, like, him being affected makes that final catharsis really mean something, and I don't agree with that. I don't agree that up... Like, aside from that one scene, Michael Weston is fine the whole episode. There are no stakes... He is never put in a seriously dangerous situation where he has to change anything. Like, he doesn't have to improvise. What I liked about episodes like, for instance, Bad Breaks, is that Michael Weston is, when something goes badly, Michael Weston has to improvise but to again, make the situation better. At no point in this episode is but Michael yeah, Weston... Bad Breaks is like... But le- I don't think Michael Weston is particularly competent in this episode. And he's not even given moments and to be I think competent that's a choice. or incompetent. Because I think... No, what I'm saying is that that's a... No, that's fine that Michael Weston doesn't get to be competent. I think that what it, what would have made me feel more connected to Michael Weston's emotional journey in the episode is if he was given a moment to be competent and he failed to do so because he was emotionally compromised. The problem is he's never given a moment to make a choice so to then make the wrong choice during the meat of the episode. So, like, I don't ever feel like he's emotionally compromised until one scene. So the rest of the episode is sort of like, blah. And then that one scene happens, and it's like, well, this is a great scene. <laughs> Where was this the rest of the episode? And then it goes back to being fine. That's, I think, the argument I'm making, is that the only scene where it feels like Michael Weston is at all off of his game is a scene that still resolves in Michael Weston's favor. But it's also, like, this other stuff. Like, again, he gets, like, they break into his house and then, like, like kidnap Fiona and shoot the shit out of, like, uh, Sean. Yeah, but, but like, Michael Weston doesn't like, make any decisions. I think he, th- he trips and falls in the beach at the end. <laughs> I'm saying like, that Michael Weston didn't get to make any decisions. Everything happens to him. He, we don't get to see Michael attempt to make a decision and make a poor decision as a result of being emotionally compromised. Therefore, I don't believe that he is truly I don't emotionally think compromised. Like, I don't think he needs to be making... Here's the thing. I don't think the episode thinks it's bad that he's emotionally compromised. Like, because... Because he's not. That's what I'm arguing. I don't think... <laughs> no, but my point is that that's not the point of it. Is My argument is that the point of it is that, like, him being emotionally sort of, like, compromised, let's say, refocuses him on, like, things that matter more to him. Right, but that only happens in one scene. Every other scene in the episode does not but, like, deal with that at all. I feel like... But... No, because everything, everything else is about that scene. I see, I, and I, I fundamentally disagree. Uh, listeners, I don't know how much of this I'm actually keeping in the episode because we've been recording for quite a while now, uh, but this is what it's like if you lived with Chris and I. <laughs> if you live with us, yeah, we would continue yeah. this argument for the rest of the night. So, What are we going to do? I think we mark both 
and we just call this a draw? I think we can call it a draw. Do we want a tiebreaker? Do we want to leave it up to the audience? We could leave it up to the audience. Because how else would we break the tie? I was just going to say Big Joe watch it. I was, that was going to be my assumption that was you know, your decision. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. Joe Heath, if you are listening to this episode, watch this episode and then tell us what you think. And we'll we'll bring you on at the end of the season when we do our burn notice, notice, noticed <laughs> for season three. We'll discuss it then and make our final sure. arbitration then. Does that make does that sound fair? That sounds fair. Okay. So this is our this is a pretty interesting episode because it's all it's the first episode where there have been zero practical spy tips. And the first episode where Chris and I have disagreed about whether it is an episode of television or a great episode of television. So we do. The only thing that we have decided from this episode is that it is not a great episode of Burn Notice. So uh, I guess weigh in on social media. We're very curious to hear what you have to say. Uh, and in the meantime, thanks again to Vincent E.L. for being unambiguously great and giving us our amazing theme music. Find more of his music at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, bye. I just thought it was good. <laughs> <laughs>